2: Well, thank you everyone for tuning in and listening to the first episode of Gen Z, Generation Crypto. This is really exciting for me. I'm really excited to have Avery here. First off, I just wanted to talk for a few seconds about why we decided to create the show. I'll kick it off and I'll throw it to Avery. I was sort of seeing a lot of brands talking about Web3, but the question I kept getting was, where do I go to learn more? Because they were learning from being inside of Discords and Web3 communities and NFT communities, or they were watching the tweets of Vayner or reading the stories of Coindesk, but it didn't seem like there was really an outlet to break down why business should be interested in this category. And I think, you know, from the moment I met Avery last year. I've just really respected her opinion, her expertise, and her thought. And just so the idea that this is a category that we can sort of dive deep on is for me really special to be able to do. So, Avery, what's your excitement about doing this show?
1: Yeah, well, thanks for the invite, Sam. You know, I always love hanging out with you. And, you know, I spend all day, every day working with enterprises on their web three strategies. And one thing a lot of my partners are looking for is to hear from other brands, to hear what they're thinking, what's on their mind, what's scaring them, what's exciting them, how they're approaching XYZ challenge, whether it's sort of internally or externally or with PR or you know understanding a little bit more under the hood. So I thought this is such a great opportunity to bring a lot of the top brand leaders and top thinkers in this Web3 ecosystem to help fuel this idea of educating the next generation of brand builders and marketers on Gen Z, on Generation Crypto. So I'm really excited about this as a way for partners and marketers and people who don't even know yet, but want to learn more about this, hear about this sort of from the business leaders who are investing in this technology and are dedicating their time and their team's time to understand more and build in this early space during the sort of nascent period of Web3. So I think just like anything, you know, Any type of culture really begins in these small little subgroups, right? And then it scales and scales and scales till it reaches more mainstream adoption. I think it's November 2022, and we're at a place where the average person would know about crypto or NFTs, but hasn't really interacted with it themselves. But savvy brand builders and marketers who invest their time to learn about this now, I think are creating opportunities for them to future-proof their businesses and their careers in the long run by being early to something that you and I both believe is a transformative technology.
2: Your story, I think, is really fascinating too, right? You were at Google. You've been at some amazing opportunities to be at the genesis of sort of the intersection of culture and technology. And so I would love for you to give like the 30 second, who is Avery? But also with the end point being like, what was that moment when you were like, this is what I want to spend my life doing right now?
1: Yeah. So I'm Avery. I'm currently based in Miami, Florida. I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee, and there's been like 10 stops in the middle of those two things. I've spent my whole career as a marketer right after school. I was, went to college in California. I worked at Target corporate for a couple of years. Then I went to Google where I just became completely enamored by how technology was changing everyone's day-to-day life at a really fast pace. And it was an exciting time to be in the Bay Area and, you know, help launch products that are now so omnipresent. Things like retargeting was once new and, you know, also help sort of scale Google's business across different geographies. I got to know Gary Vee, jumped on board the Gary Vee train. Everyone thought it was crazy leaving a really great job at the number one company by every kind of, you know, metric at the time to go to a community management agency. But I saw something in Gary that was very inspiring. And I've been at Vayner ever since. I you know, started VaynerMedia at APAC, which is you know, now several hundred people strong. And in late 2020, became really interested in what was happening in this digital reality. And we became first interested and then obsessed with NFTs. We got very into it as kind of our whole core Vayner team. Gary launched BeFriends in May of 2021. That was an incredible learning opportunity for many of us just to sort of see under the hood. And a month later, we decided to launch NFT, which was June 2021. 18 months later, I couldn't be more bullish on the future of Web3. And I now run our consultancy um, working with enterprise partners, which is called Vayner3.
2: And I think like the thing you just mentioned is so important, which is that you guys first put the work in to do it yourself, right? vFriends was a very complicated project that had a lot of intricacies. There were some amazing wins through it. There were some learnings, I'm sure that came along the way. But I think the fact that you were able to do that probably propped you up better than so many others in order to sort of be a great guide and like the oracle for how to have a brand enter the space. You know, I think that's the thing I don't give enough credit to is that this is hard. Like this is not easy stuff. And you guys learn the good way and the hard way that there are right ways and wrong things to do. And I think that's really what we're here to explore on this podcast. So First of all, thank you in advance for all the intelligence you're going to bring. And I'm really looking forward to just like diving down this hole with you.
1: This is going to be a great series. I couldn't be more stoked on the guests that we have who are taking their time to chat with us and to explore further into this world of Web3 and Gen C. It's going to be a blast. And thank you all so much for tuning in and taking your time. If you all have any requests of what you want to hear more or less of, hit us up on Twitter.
2: Let's just talk a little bit about what's gone on this week. You know, this has been a big week in the world of crypto. We'll talk for a minute about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I say that because of the .Swoosh launch, of course. That's the main thing that's on our minds. But no, really, I mean, I think, you know, when we look at the fact that over the last couple of months, Starbucks has started to, like, give us detail around Odyssey. Nike has sort of just brought up this week, .Swoosh. You know, Meta has begun selling digital collectibles. You know, let's look at the three of these, if we can, and sort of, I would love to just get your, you know, quick takes on these three moments with three giant historic brands, and all of them are entering. And I think there's actually a lot of similarities in how all three are coming to market. So I wanted to just get your take on those three brands specifically.
1: Yeah, let's talk about Dot Swoosh, because I'm really excited about that one. And I think Nike has really paved the way with some incredibly smart moves, and they're like one of the number one consumer brands for a reason. Nike acquired Artifact last year, probably the biggest brand news in the Web3 space, in my opinion, in all of 2021, which was incredible. And just two days ago, they unveiled .Swoosh, which is a platform built by you know, their internal team collaborating closely with the Artifact guys. And the team who was spearheading that was actually the same team who developed the sneakers app, which you know, also had led to a, you know incredible business outcome for Nike in the digital space. So really exciting to see that and see them leaning into this sort of ethos of Web3, tapping the team that they sort of acquired as a partner, but doing this under the Nike brand, especially in the wake of a lot of challenging news for the crypto industry broadly. I think that's an incredible testament to how much Nike believes in this and how brave they are as marketers. I think Nike has long been known for their brave and bold marketing moves. And this is just another example of that.
2: The thing that struck me the most, actually, in their announcement was the idea that they're creating a marketplace, right? So we all think about digital collectibles today and we're starting to think about, you know, still the open sea and super rare and all the kind of NFT marketplaces there are. And then we think about all the metaverse worlds. But Nike, in essence, is doing what Nike does really well, which is retail. I think they said that their price points were going to begin around $50. But the fact that they were able to create or are creating kind of a retail storefront that allows for people to buy, and I assume trading will come with that, to me is really something that's special. And I think, you know, when you look at that and you compare that again with like last week when Meta did their first artist collab drop with Drift, which sells out literally $50,000 of product in 10 seconds to the point where they didn't even know, like the Meta team thought that things were broken because they weren't seeing sales coming through. And the fact was, it just sold out so quickly that they had no idea, right? Which is just like a really amazing opportunity and also the power of what it means to have scale, right? So another way of thinking about the retail digital assets that's happening off of the traditional NFT platforms.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that one sort of commonality there is meta-leaning into the existing Web3 creators. The same way we just talked like Nike acquired Artifact and then they've tapped those people as really in-house experts. That was really meta strategy too with how they first rolled this out. So yes, they have incredible scale. These collection sizes are pretty small and I think the price for Drift was a thousand, which is pretty accessible actually for a Drift piece. And I think that they were really smart to lean into partnering with the top creators and getting those folks on board and supporting their marketplace from the get-go. Starting with someone like Drift is a very, very high bar, which is great. And in the subsequent days, folks like Sarah Bowman who is the creator of Women and Weapons, also had a really successful drop that also sold out really quickly. I think it's really smart of Meta in two directions. One, to brand this under Instagram. I think Instagram, we know that it's owned by Meta, but that isn't known by everyone. And I think a lot of consumers have a more positive perception of Instagram. Secondarily, they partner with these top creators and those creators have a built-in audience. I think this would be different if they were just taking a you know, typical like Instagram influencer and having them sell something, which of course is the end game. But starting with people who understand how digital asset ownership works, I think was really smart. And third, Meta isn't taking a take yet. I think that will change in the future, but them sort of going about this from a place of letting the creators sort of have all of the earnings upfront is the right move. They're also abstracting some of how gas works. So keeping that a little bit more seamless. I think is a great take. And we're excited to be partnering with Meta on a couple of different initiatives in this space in the next few months. So really excited about what Instagram is building on this front and the potential this unlocks for broader scale. I do still think creating the demand is going to be important. And it it's something that you know, new creators who aren't Web3 native are gonna to have to work on because you know, my hot take would be, I think the people who were collecting the sort of early Web3 native artists are already NFT collectors.
2: Yeah, and we look forward to all the alpha you'll be dropping on your new stuff working with Meta. But I think you're right. I think one of the things that they did also that was very smart was, I believe they put a price cap as in nothing can be charged more than $1,000. And so I think they're hoping that there's going to be $25 and $50 and $100 and $1,000, which frankly, in the NFT world is a lot more accessible and helps to sort of debunk, I think, the sort of fear that a lot of people have about getting into digital collectibles where they suddenly feel that they'll be priced out. And not to say that $1,000 isn't a lot of money because it is for many, many people. But I think the idea of aligning yourself to someone who you really believe is a strong creator, and whether that's because they just did a collab on a shoe drop and you spent 500 bucks on those shoes, or it's because you got one of 50 of these unique pieces that was part of their first drop on Meta, I think it still feels accessible in a way that is just different than what we've seen across traditional NFT, where, you know, not even three weeks ago that we saw the Art Gobblers project come out on the NFT world and like the prices shot up immediately to $25,000, you know, for a very unknown property versus someone like Drift or something like Nike, which are just known quantities in this world. And I think that's really important. The sort of final question I want to ask you before we get into our guest, who I'm really excited about, is sort of what do you think are the types of verticals? We've talked about Nike, we've talked about Starbucks, we've talked about Meta. Like in your opinion, what are the verticals that should be paying the most attention to Web3? And why is that?
1: I think the verticals that should be paying the most attention to Web3 is any business who either has a direct relationship with their consumers already that they want to deepen or is looking for a brand transformation moment. I think those are the two sort of places that I would play. Brands who already have a robust CRM strategy, have seen the benefits of how important that is as a consumer insights engine in the world of web two, this makes so much sense as a natural extension, whether that's loyalty or, or replacement of cookies or anything of that nature. And the second is a brand who's ready to retransform. who's like, great, this is a moment for us to rethink how we operate as a brand. I think web three offers this whole new suite of opportunity for those brands to lean in and do something differently. So whether you're an auto manufacturer, or a spirits manufacturer, or you know, a B2B company, leaning in early to Web3 to really crack it ahead of your competitors, I think is an interesting strategy. But I honestly believe not every company needs to do an NFT drop. However, I think every enterprise needs to understand what's happening in this space. And If they choose not to participate yet, yeah, that totally makes sense in a lot of cases. But what I don't think they can afford to do is ignore this. I think brands who have ignored, whether it's social media or e-commerce or TikTok, then they're calling their agency once it actually hits and saying, oh my God, how did I miss this? I think we are in this moment where it's still so early on Web3. You can still be early and understanding what's happening and taking the time to listen to shows like this is incredibly beneficial for marketers who want to have an edge.
2: There was an article that was passed around a lot this week, which we can put in the show notes, that really talked about that this is sort of a defining moment between kind of the money side of crypto and the tech side of crypto. And that if we can divorce those a little bit, then we can start to look at sort of the tech infrastructure layer as being the truly transformational, whereas the money is speculation. And so that's where I think when you're on the brand side, of course, you're hoping to make money and to profit and to figure out new ways to create new areas of revenue. But I think it's more about the tech infrastructure and what that means to transform your business then whether or not you dropped, you know, an nft or a metaverse play and that immediately made a lot of people a lot of money flipping. I think that's frankly, you know, not great for the brand. Yet the loyalty infrastructure and the membership infrastructure and the asset ownership and provenance infrastructure, that stuff is super cool. Like that's the stuff that I think any brand could probably figure out their lane. Without sort of going too far in, you know, give us 30 seconds, you know, what's happened in the market this last two weeks with FDX and how it's sort of affected perception. You're talking to brands all day. Are you seeing that people are super freaked out right now? Or are they kind of saying, we're just building?
1: You know, I was expecting people to be more freaked out than they have been. And I think in the macro context of so much going on at this particular time of November 2022, people are doing mass layoffs. There's crazy stuff happening in the political landscape. And FTX collapsing after several other sort of similar things had happened in the crypto industry, to be honest, wasn't too concerning to a lot of our partners. However, it's never a great sign, right? Like having one of the, you know, biggest sort of crypto players wiped out essentially overnight and everything that's come to light, actually, it all started on CoinDesk. Sorry. (laughs) All of that's come to life that's, you know, wiped, what is it, $32 billion into nothing. I think is never positive and it's unfortunate. And I think mostly I have a lot of empathy for the individual consumers who are affected by this and the companies who are tied up in this as well. From our partner's perspective, like it's still what they're doing in Web3 is a tiny little investment for them. Even if it's a few million dollars, that's not significant to their bottom lines. So, you know, as Vayner, we sort of put out a POV for our partners saying we are continue to be incredibly bullish in the long-term future of Web3. Here's what happened here's what we know. You know, We, as a company, hadn't done any business with FTX, but have a lot of empathy for those who did. And, and also want to help a lot of the people who are working there or in related companies you know, on their next adventure. And even I was actually at a Heat game two nights ago. The Heat were playing the, the Phoenix Suns and I was expecting because there was FTX signage all over the arena. And I was expecting to hear a little chatter and the people people are just talking about basketball. I think uh, in our little microcosm, it seems groundbreaking and horrible, and it is. But the reality is, I think most enterprise brand folks and normal consumers don't really know or care. I think it is a CFO killer. And CFOs who see that type of thing, maybe who are considering a crypto play, I think they read that type of thing. And they, especially if they had skepticism to begin with, a lot of that skepticism can be validated through some of the events of the last two weeks. But I think builders keep building, Vayner keeps marching, and our partners are typically in it with us for the long haul, and and they're not looking at any type of speculative investing or trading activity related to crypto. So I'd say it's pretty divorced from how enterprises are thinking about leveraging Web3 tech.
2: One of the things that I think is, frankly, a benefit is that brands themselves take a wilder build, right? A lot of Web3 entities pop up in two weeks and suddenly have NFT or a coin out, and You know, the whole thing can take a month. Brands don't move at that pace. So I think the fact that brands move a little slower, these kind of ripples may not have as much lasting effect. And to your point, once you're thinking on an enterprise level, you are thinking about core technological transformation and sort of customer retention. You're not thinking about, you know, the sort of highs and lows of Dogecoin in that moment. So I think that also is really important. It's really about kind of long term building. In a terrible segue, let's talk about. The fact that our first guest has been building in this space in a long time, and with her building is investing and researching and investigating and consulting on. So our first guest today is Magdalena Kala, who's just a wonderful sort of fountain of insight, who just keeps dropping so much knowledge onto the industry through Twitter, through things she writes. She was at Bain for, I think, six or seven years. She also has been a consultant for everything from sports teams to big tech brands. And, um, you know, I think that I'm just really excited to hear kind of her framing. She's just announced a fund. She just raised $30 million, all focused on consumer brand web three tech. So, you know, what are you most excited to hear from Mags?
1: Thrilled to have Mags as our first guest. And I couldn't think of anyone with sharper insights and a better pulse on the market. Mags, I think, is a rare breed of someone who has... Really strong business acumen, sort of financial understanding, and sort of brand building capabilities, plus an intrinsically really deep understanding of how web three and crypto works. so super excited about having her today. I really want to hear from Mags on how she thinks brands can embrace the principles of web three and also some of how she's thinking about her thesis as her fund double down gets off the ground. What exactly are they looking for and in- and what does she think the opportunity is, even in this you know, period of volatility?
2: Fantastic. With that, we're going to take a break and then we will return with Max. All right. So we are so excited to introduce our first ever guest to the Gen C podcast. Magdalena Kala is an amazing woman. She's someone who inspires myself. I think Avery may feel the same. And I'm really excited to have Mags on as our first guest to help frame kind of consumer, both Web3 and Web2. Thanks
0: for having me. Honored to be your very first guest. As you mentioned, I am a career consumer investor. I've only known consumer on the investing side, private equity, every possible area of consumer you can imagine apparel, beauty, restaurants, hospitality. Then moved on to family office investing, did a lot of gaming, commerce, media, sports, Web3, and also in the middle, had a bunch of operating stints at different brands and companies. So all around, uh, consumer is my world.
1: Amazing. Well, Mags, obviously, we know each other pretty well, and I'm super excited that you're here and can share a lot of your wisdom, insight, and hot takes, which you're so well known for. So speaking of consumer... Let's talk about sort of consumer hobbies. Maybe you can share a little bit about your take on gambling and also how you came to the name Double Down. I think that's always a fun fact that you have for many folks.
0: My consumer Web3 fund is called Double Down and it's above and nod to how I think about, you know, investing in, in general, how I think it's the right time to double down on Web3. But also it is a nod to my, very first career, which was a professional Blackjack player. I was there, what they call the advantage player, a card counter in Vegas for a few years. And that's kind of the connection to that. You know, Blackjack, it's funny. I have taken it as part of my cred as a lifetime degen. So much of crypto is about degenerative behavior and that's part of it. But Blackjack is the only game that's actually legally beatable. And it's not gambling if you know you're going to win. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was an interesting like lab for me of exploring and learning so many different things. If you think of kind of all the different elements that go into being a player, it's like understanding human nature and being able to talk to absolutely anyone and controlling your emotions and risk management and like making the right decisions for the right reasons, all the little things that actually are like very helpful for being an investor and being a business person. But it is a fun part of my past.
2: So, Mags, who is going to play you in the movie?
0: (laughs) The movie already exists. It's called 21. It's not very accurate. But if there's going to be a movie about my life, I sure hope it's going to have better highlights than just my blackjack career.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm nominating Emma Stone. I see Emma Stone really starring in this kind of a role. Mags has her signature hair color, which I feel like Emma Stone could really rock.
2: I was thinking like Jennifer Lawrence could also be in that casting as well.
1: I feel like neither of those is spicy enough. You
0: need someone with an attitude.
2: <laughs> well, we'll keep thinking about that. So Max, like bring us in on the first moment when you sort of thought about Web3 as a true like opportunity for brands, and whether that's Web2 brands, Web3 brands, like what was that Genesis moment when you said there's something here? And what did you do with that?
0: It's funny because I never thought about it from the perspective of brands and kind of the corporate lens. I always look at everything from the consumer lens. I've always said I'm a consumer centric investor before consumer centric as a word became cool. And for me, being an investor was always investing in like how and why people spend their time, their attention, their money. And like a lot of the why is driven by needs and it's driven by incentives. And like, At the end of the day, you can actually explain the entire world through incentive structures. And what has been so powerful to me about Web3 from the very beginning that I encountered it was this opportunity for direct alignment of incentives through ownership. Like, ownership mentality is actually so powerful. It's so simple, but so powerful in kind of aligning everyone around a common goal and like a common kind of growth objective. And that's general kind of fundamental thing is like what's so interesting to me in the relationship between consumers and web3 and then brands kind of also depends how you define brands to me pretty much any company can be a brand it's not just about physical goods right there's brand everything what's interesting in web3 specifically about the brand is because it's open source and because so much of it is kind of out in the open there are different sources of modes than you have in kind of traditional world. And I think brand is just like a very powerful source of mouth and trust and all that it entails.
1: You know, I always love hearing you talk about brands and how you think about them. I know you spent a lot of time um, at Bain Capital where you were kind of consulting on and oftentimes operating within a lot of brands. Can you share a little bit about that and some of the you know, experiences you had there that sort of triggered this spark of why Web3 is really starting to matter for consumer brands? I think the biggest thing is just consumers are
0: fickle. And a consumer psychology is so fascinating to me in general, right? like We say one thing and do another. And we buy one brand today and completely different brand a year from now. And so like trying to untangle and predict how humans are going to behave, where like consumers are actually very irrational, it's so fascinating, but it also is like a great management challenge, right? Like how can you kind of make sure that you stay relevant for a long period of time? In Web3, it's actually a really interesting challenge when you think about exclusivity. And so much of Web3 brands have been built on exclusivity. Well, it's really hard to scale exclusivity. And there are great examples outside of the Web3 world, right? Like Supreme or Telfar brands that have kind of like attempted that, but in general, like really tough challenge. And so Thinking through like just whole like lens of needs, emotions, motivations, and kind of how do you gain conviction that something is going to be around for a long time. And a part of that is kind of decomposing consumer behavior into like functional, rational reasons. What are the types of things and types of purchases and types of decisions that consumers make that are very like rationality, reason driven? And then what are the decisions that are pure like emotion, spontaneity driven? I'm always very like first principles, like why people make decisions that they make. And so from like my past experiences, right, it's like you try to go as deep as possible. Like my former boss used to say, like you ask the why until you can't ask why anymore to like really get the root cause of why people do what they do. And sometimes they can't even tell you. And so you have to like develop models around it, right? People have one perception of who they are and what they do and the reality might be very different. And then you take all of those inputs and, to figure out like how to grow, how to build a brand, how do you align what you're doing as a business with what consumers care about, how the consumer trends are changing. And so with like web three kind of aligned with that, to me it's one of the key progression things is consumers have never given up on something once they've gotten it. Right. Like there is no coming back. And I think with web three, you're giving people more freedom, more flexibility, more ownership, more impact on decision making. And like humanity has never taken steps back on those dimensions. And I think right now we're going to the growing pains of figuring out how that works in practice. But the reality is there is this kind of taste of what the world might look like when consumers are rewarded and share the upside and like kind of aligned incentives with kind of companies and corporations.
2: So Max, just pulling on that a little bit more, I'm assuming not every single brand should be a Web3 brand. So I guess my question is, one, is there something that brands should ask themselves to see if Web3 or Web3 strategy is the right one for them? And then sort of along with that, how should they be thinking about it in terms of, you know, is it an additive to their brand opportunity or is it a transformational opportunity? What's your opinion on how to sort of strategically frame how brands should get involved?
0: Yeah, it's a very big question, obviously. And I think not every single brand should be a Web3 brand. And I think in the same way, it's like it's not a binary thing. I compare it to e-commerce and then kind of e-commerce adoption, right? Like we are not going to ever be in the world where 100% of all purchases are e-commerce. We are also clearly not going to be in a world where e-commerce is zero. It's going to be spectrum depending on category, depending on kind of what makes the most sense for consumers. And I think Web3 is a similar way where there is going to be some penetration of web tweets. Never like, I don't think it's going to be hundred percent because there are actually a lot of benefits to centralized systems and kind of the world working the way it does right now for traditional brands. Again, similar to how e-commerce worked, it initially was really hard to adopt the technology because no one had the expertise. The organizational structures and cultures were not set up the right way. Right. And so it's really hard to bring this. Completely new technology and philosophical system and a way of operating into traditional structures and expect it to work really well. And so I think from when like you have brands thinking about that, like the very first thing is just like it's actually really hard to do and jumping into things just because everyone else is doing it or for PR reasons, like rarely works. And if you're going to do something for PR reasons, it has to be built to be a kind of a campaign and not like a project or a product launch. I think that's the biggest thing that I see as a mistake for traditional brands where people confuse campaigns and launches. If it's a campaign and it's meant to be short-lived, it has to be run as a campaign. And if it's meant to be a project and a product, it needs to be integrated and it needs to be run in a way that actually has longevity and support around it, right? And on the support point, whether you're doing a campaign or a launch, like you need to surround yourself with the right people and the right teams and the right support that can make things happen. I think for all of the brands, regardless of whether they're going to do a campaign or a launch, it is a little bit of like doing a soul searching at the very beginning of like, why are you doing what you're doing? Cause again, like if it's about PR and earned impressions, like that's fine. That just means very different things. Versus if it's something that is kind of core to how you want to run your business and how you want to future proof yourself and how you want to experiment about, you know, digital relevancy. And I think there are three elements that kind of matter from that standpoint. So one, does the kind of flexing in the digital realm matter to your brand? Right. Cause like a lot of the web three is about the digital realm and kind of the physical versus digital. And if you think that you should be going further and further into the metaverse and kind of having presence there and how that looks like, there is a really good reason to start exploring Web3 and kind of its version of that. I think second is how much does community actually matter to you? Like Web3 is very community driven. And most brands, when they talk about community, they actually really mean an audience and they're not willing to kind of enable stronger community for the brand. Cause like that comes with benefits, but it also comes with costs, where like communities can get very entitled and high maintenance. And that's a whole other thing. And then third is thinking through like sharing upside with your super fans and your best users and your ambassadors. And Web3 enables that kind of tokenized loyalty in a very interesting way where you get to reward your users, your fans that allows you to gain your success but you have to be willing to share that upside and not just kind of try to get all the benefits for yourself. And so the TLDR doing things for the right reasons and kind of understanding why you want to explore Web3, there's no reason to rush. This is like a big transformational trend overall. And I think the brands that have done it the right way have either done things for a pure sake of experimentation and been very clear about that, or they've kind of taken a step back like Starbucks and really thought about, why is this relevant to us and how we do business for the next decade plus?
1: What do you think that traditional enterprise companies and brands can learn from some of the Web3 natives? You spend a lot of your time sharing your thought leadership on platforms like Twitter and Telegram. And you know, you've been sort of known within the Web3 communities for your insights. What do you think that some of these Web3 communities have done right or wrong that more mainstream consumer companies can take a look at and learn from?
0: yeah I think there's a lot of learning to be had across you know both sides. A lot of web three brands can learn from web two and vice versa. I think for traditional brands learning from Web three, community management and just how you think about community input into your decision making, like as I mentioned, I think once people get a taste of having a real impact on decisions being made and products being launched, it's going to be hard to take back, and so the sooner you can learn how to interact with community and kind of how to balance the consumer input with not becoming kind of a slave to the community because it is a vocal minority that can kind of steer you astray as well. And so kind of thinking through community management and kind of gaining insights from the community. I think the other thing that is so interesting to me in Web3 overall is that it serves super fans exceptionally well. And I think in a lot of categories and for a lot of brands, we kind of serve the common denominator that the most kind of average consumer and the super fans don't tend to be really well like listened to and rewarded and kind of, I hate to use the word utilized, but utilized for the benefit of the brand because like if people really love you and care about you, there is that engagement and relationship to be built and I think Web3 has done it really well when it's elevated its kind of top supporters.
2: We'll be back with some more insights from Mags right after the break.
1: Join Coindesk's Consensus 2023, where Web3 meets IRL, happening April 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. Consensus is the industry's only event bringing together all sides of crypto, Web3, and the metaverse. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer marketers, advertisers, brand leaders, creators, builders, founders, entrepreneurs, and more.
2: All right. And we're back. So, Mags, I want to sort of talk about two different things that you were just talking about. The first is when I think about brands coming to social, they were so hesitant about giving away kind of brand control to the every person, letting people talk about brands. The rise of the influencer was not met well originally with brands. So when you talk about the idea of sort of sharing in the financial upside and the opportunities that that unlocks for brands, my first sort of alarm bell goes off that says, brands are still not comfortable yet with the idea of, if you can capture revenue, why would I give it away? So can you talk a little bit more about what it means to sort of share, I guess, align incentives within a community itself and why that should benefit the brand?
0: I always love going through the actual example on this. And most recently I was thinking about it because Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx, is my investor in my fund. It's like, imagine starting that brand from scratch today. She has built entirely that brand on the power of the community that really locked in. She has never did paid marketing, and it was very much word of mouth driven and community driven, right? And so, in context of Web three, if you're going to do uh, Spanx as a Web three native brand, there is so many individual elements of brand building that you are asking your initial users to do, right? It's user generated content. It's reviews, it's referrals and kind of word of mouth. So many different elements that over time like, create this real brand equity and marketing levers and overall distributional advantage. And if you're asking people to do it, you actually are gaining efficiency on the marketing side, right? You no longer have to spend it on traditional marketing levers. And so like, why not share that back with the users, right? If they are helping you build this thing, you not only should reward them for that action and being able to reward them with tokens, like means that there is no cash impact on the business and that you are allowing them to share in the massive upside. If everyone that's building this brand is being able to contribute to its eventual success, but it also means that you're actually adding the reinforcement to all those behaviors because now all of your super fans are not only super fans, like they feel like part owners. It's the same reason why we give kind of equity stock grants to employees, because you want your employees to feel like, especially if they're building something from scratch and something really hard, you want them to feel like contributors who are going to get rewarded for their actions. And I think that is just like a very powerful loop to embrace where, yes, you're giving away a kind of financial element but you're also gaining so much in even deeper loyalty that I think like a lot of brands are not, just like don't even understand how deep that relationship can be where all of your super fans have the mentality of like a co-owner of your business.
1: Yeah, so Magda, you just launched your new fund, Double Down, raised $30 million, very exciting. Disclose, I was a very tiny little part of that. I'd love to hear your take on the types of companies that you're looking to invest and sort of like what your thesis is at Double Down and sort of how you see your fund supporting some of the next like movers and shakers and builders in Web3 who could potentially be powering some of these enterprise brand platforms.
0: For sure. I'm so excited to be launching Double Down, especially now, despite everything going in the market, I think it's a perfect time to do it. And yes, the thesis of the fund is mainstream adoption of Web3. In general, I probably believe that the only thing that matters is mainstream adoption. If we're not going to get adoption, this is a niche technology that will not be able to reach its full potential. The, I also highly believe that in order to get mainstream adoption, we need to do it through consumer culture. And the reason why is because people are passionate about consumer culture, right? When I was little. My mother gave me vitamins in chocolate because I didn't want to take my vitamins. And I think like web three adoption is such a hard thing and it has so many. And of steps associated with that. So if we can deliver web three adoption through the chocolate of things that people already care about and are passionate about and are like emotionally attached to, that's how we're going to speed up the adoption cycle. And so that's kind of the general thesis of what I plan to do, whether it's impacts on music or media or sports or commerce or education, personal finance, so many different elements overall that adapt to consumer culture in my mind. And I want to be investing in founders who are thinking about how Web3 technology can make those areas better, can make products that are better for users, right? I absolutely hate when I see kind of Web3 for Web3's sake, when it doesn't add any real benefit to the users. And that's not what I think the real opportunity is. The real opportunity is How can we harness these fundamental benefits in all these different sectors? And then because mainstream adoption is actually not just about the product, it's also about distribution and storytelling. That's what I work with founders on. How I approach things is driven by my past experience, which is a lot of marketing and branding and go-to-market strategies. And so I noticed that in the crypto world, it's very tech-driven there weren't necessarily a lot of investors who were thinking through that lens. And I think it's going to be really hard to get mainstream adoption if we don't embrace you know, storytelling and kind of thoughtful go-to-market strategies to get that mainstream adoption faster.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that what we've seen to date is some of these like Web3 native brands that have been very like tech-centric and the like language they use, very crypto bro audience. And we sort of reached like a saturation point, at least for now in some of that. And the future is more in the direction of this technology being invisible, right? Is being something that's interesting for normal users, whether that's sports or music or going to a cool party at Art Basel. This idea of access, of scale, and sort of this move away from scarcity, which we've really sort of seen dominate the market for the last like several years, really, that kind of led up to this boom. Who do you think has done that well to date? There's two moments in my mind that really sparked like somewhat mainstream awareness of like what an NFT even is and why people should care. I think, like you said, Mags, this always happens at these key moments and the back to back sort of top shot meteoric rise, which is tied to NBA, which people love We're in pandemic land, had a lot of time spent on the computer, coupled with the $69 million Beefle sale, I think was a big like wake up call that then brought, you know, a couple of hundred thousand or million, depending on how you quantify it, entrance into this ecosystem who else do you think has done a good job of sort of onboarding a larger swath of users beyond sort of the existing crypto or NFT communities?
0: Yes, it's a good question. And also the N is so, so small right now. And there's actually like, it's an industry that has so few users. So what has worked so far is not necessarily what's going to work in the future. But I think there are all these embedded technologies. So Dapper Labs with Flow is working with Ticketmaster right now for ticket collectibles, right? Like that is an interesting example of a company in the space that has the kind of the technological backbone and partnering with an industry leader that has scale and being able to deploy this in the kind of collectible moment. So that's interesting where anytime you have this partnership between like a very Web3 native company and a traditional company where you have the benefits of kind of the technology and the team that's very in-depth, but then partners with someone who has reach and other kind of organizational talents. Artifact and Nike is another example, right? Nike just launched their marketplace for digital collectibles. And again, it's an example of they acquired an Artifact team, but very much taking that partnership approach of everyone playing to their individual competitive advantages and what they're best at and partnering for this like interesting product. And then the one thing that you see, kind of the common theme between the NBA Top Shot and Nike with Artifact, and now even with the Starbucks and their kind of tokenized loyalty play, there is this common theme of not using the language of NFTs and Web3. They're all describing the benefits in different ways, right? It's the digital collectibles. In Starbucks' case, it's the stamps, right? Like everyone is... Trying to get rid of this tech forward language because it's not actually helping anyone. I always compare it to MP3s where like, when was the last time you actually talked about MP3 as a file format? And, but we used to, we used to talk about MP3 players and MP3 files. And now it's just music. It's not even digital music. It's just music. And I think that's what's going to happen here a lot as we're kind of embracing this ownership of digital items and There are many different types of digital items, right? It's collectibles, it's tickets, it's membership passes, it's digital outfits and skins. Like there's so many different elements. And as we embrace that, I think the terminology is going to go away from the kind of the very tech centric.
2: Max, first of all, your chocolate analogy. Fantastic. I happen to be down in Mexico City right now for the Bright Moments art event, and I've been offered a lot of different chocolates with other vitamins in them. So (laughs) clearly, that is something that still exists, whether it's filled with crypto or not. Just as a final question, and thank you so much for doing this. You've been really generous with your time and your thoughts, and always just such a pleasure to talk to you. So, the thing that's been on my mind recently is that we've seen a lot of Web3 brands that have started to pop up, right? Whether it's soft drinks, whether it's sneakers, whether it's clothing, whether it's membership programs. And I'm not one who's thinking that the Web2 brands aren't there ready to fight back. You mentioned Starbucks, you mentioned Nike, Adidas. We think about Marriott, we think of Amex, we think of the big brands who've been in loyalty plays for quite a long time. So our Web2 brands, just because of the fact that they've built brands over such a long period of time, actually better sort of positioned in the long run, because I assume the tool sets will get easier and easier. So as that happens, I think trying to think about it through the lens of those who actually still are doing traditional brand building will be able to succeed more than the upstart who just says, no, I have a great community. I really know how to use Discord and Twitter. What are you looking for in a true Web3 native brand? And why do you think some of those are going to succeed compared to sort of the more known and more funded Web2 brands?
0: I love your questions always have so many layers that I kind of wish I could just like unpack layer by layer. I'll try to do a good job here. I think Web3 is such a different mindset shift. It's not just a technological shift, it's a mindset shift about how you interact with your users. And I think that is something that's really hard to just like, oh, we are adding the tooling. If you don't embrace the mindset, it's going to be really hard to execute something the right way. And so I think that's why there is room for these like very web three native companies to fundamentally come in with a different perspective that's much more democratized and embracing of that shared building and co-creation with your community. But like, it's absolutely true that a lot of traditional brands will also be able to like make some level of pivot either because they have to. Or because they already are primed to be kind of very consumer centric in kind of their existing operations. I think at the end of the day, it's so hard to build an enduring business. And we kind of like miss that in this general hype of web three and startups in general and VC and all of that. Like it's really hard to build something of enduring value coming from private equity where we have been taking companies to IPO and kind of seeing the late stage. Like it is really freaking hard to build something that will not only exist five years from now, but also grow and endure and kind of have this value creation to all parties involved. And the skills of that, like web two, web three, like at the end of the day, you need great builders who have great ideas, who can build great teams, who can think about like, why does this matter to people? I think there's a lot of experimentation in the space right now. and it's important to experiment. You also have to experiment with a specific hypothesis in mind because you're just experimenting to experiment. You're much less likely to arrive at something interesting. But like, as you're doing these experiments on hypothesis with a great team, I think the cream will like race to the top and we're going to have these amazing businesses that are going to build the right way. But like, it's hard because company building is hard in
1: general. I would love to ask you your takes on anything that we might see as sort of surprises through the end of the year. you know, in spite of market conditions, I was really happy to see dot swoosh launch, which I think really demonstrates Nike's conviction and commitment to the web three space come hell or high water with mainstream news cycles. What do you think that we're going to see in the last you know forty five days of twenty twenty two from either web three native brands or Enterprise level brands who are looking to make that final splash. Do you think we'll get any spicy new excitement, particularly during our Basel? Maybe
0: I don't know. I think Basel, it's funny because everyone who plans Basel plans so far ahead of time that the plans that were already set in motion, you know, six, 12 months ago, like those are the plans we're going to see. So it's a lagging indicator in many ways. So I'm not sure if kind of thinking through the lens of the last couple of months, where is the excitement and spice? because those have been put in motion such a long time ago. I think it is going to be interesting to see the continued progression of using the technology. Even when you compare kind of where we are right now to a year ago, there is so much more sophistication in the space about what matters and what's interesting. And so I just expect to see more of that. I think going forward... I am encouraged by like Nike making a real commitment, Starbucks making a real commitment. Those are not just huge businesses, but they are also industry leaders that a lot of other companies look up to as far as kind of corporate strategy and what are the things that they should be considering and looking at. And so from that perspective, I think we will be actually positively surprised going into 2023 where despite all the crypto drama and the kind of public perception of that, companies will still be kind of embracing it and thinking about how to build it into their existing businesses and new innovations will be coming up. I think builders build and there are so many people in the Web3 ecosystem who are excited about the technology and kind of the broader micro environment is not impacting that.
2: Megs, thank you so much. We really appreciate you spending the time with us. That was wonderful. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about Double Down or yourself?
0: Definitely on the Double Down website, which is double-down.com on our Twitter. As Avery mentioned, I'm a queen of hot takes. I drop a lot of hot takes on Twitter. So uh, follow me at uh, Magdala Nakala.
1: And I want to give Mags one last final shout out, a platform that she's been building for the last several months that has been a huge help to a lot of our partners at Vayner and to other marketers who are curious about learning more about what's happening in this world of Web3 and digital reality, Metacurious Marketing is an educational cohort that Double Down puts on, bringing together an incredible cohort of brand marketers and having them connect with the best and brightest of Web3 technologists and builders. So if you or someone on your team, dear listener is interested in checking this out, look out at Metacurious Marketing. And I believe there might be a newsletter coming soon. I've heard it might be called the Double Down Dispatch. So check that out as well.
2: Mags, thanks so much again for your time. We'll be right back with a couple final thoughts. Thanks so much. So we're back. We just had an amazing conversation with Mags, also known as Magdalena Kala from Double Down, who just really dropped so many knowledge bombs on us. Avery, what's your main takeaway from listening to Mags?
1: I think the fact that an investor like Mags has gone all into this world of Web3 versus all of the other different things she could potentially be doing as a marketer, as a brand builder, as an investor, as a founder, I think is a testament to how bright the future is. You almost need to wear shades because I think talent like Mags, both fueling investment in this ecosystem and bringing in enterprises and enterprise-level investors into this space is super exciting. I loved her take on sort of the digital realm and how that's going to be a spectrum for many different partners and really everyone in the long term. So yeah, what an incredible first guest.
2: No, she was fantastic. I also think that, you know, I've always felt that consumer facing businesses are like just the hardest to run, right? Like the margins are not fantastic. It's a lot of product. It's a lot of like things and logistics you have to manage. So the commitment to that as your sort of, main strategy around how you can put tokenized layers and collectibles and sort of loyalty systems on top of it just feels to me like it's just a bullish category because as we know, consumer does have a lot of loyal fans and sort of amping up loyalty just feels like the way to go and agree, just fantastic first guest. We have so many more coming and we really look forward to seeing you on the next Gen C with yet another exciting guest, as well as Avery and I breaking down what's happened in the world of brand and Web3 since. So until then, we'll see you later.
1: Bye, everyone. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. (laughs) Okay, no flying cars. But as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.